Coming up on Anything is Potable, we talk about the Celtics' overtime loss to the Houston Rockets, and then we get to a segment I like to call Questions, where we answer questions. Uh, <laughs> you are now tuned into Anything's Potable, the most honorable, the most audible. Hold the applause, like Paul Anything is Potable is the Boston Celtics podcast here on The Athletic Podcast Network. I'm your host, Jam Packer, professional sports fan, joined by out, as always, the kid, El Nino himself, feeling like he's in a little bit of a surly mood right now, uh, Jay King, beat reporter for The Athletic, covering the Celtics. You just think I'm in a surly mood <laughs> because you come in, knock it on my door like you're trying to slam it down. And I just want to talk to some tweeter out here. <laughs> I, I got to shout out some tweeter out here. So I refused to let Packard into my apartment. I texted him telling him I never would allow him into my apartment if he knocked out loudly. Somebody by the name of Tuxedo Octopus on Twitter. A hero. Came back. Speaking fired back truth to power. Stop being an old man. Wah. Facts. Don't say the name of our show too loud. Facts. Wah. Don't knock too hard. Jam is a fucking alpha. You're just living in his world. Dribble boy. To Tuxedo Octopus, <laughs> this alleged alpha would not be allowed into my apartment because I'm the true alpha here. <laughs> I tweeted him, let him know his behavior was unacceptable. He could not come inside until he changed it. That is true. You, I, you, I had to knock again before you came to the door. See? But Who's, I did not know that. I just thought you were being lazy. Who's the alpha now, Tuxedo? <laughs> who's the alpha now? That'd be Jay King, beat reporter for the Boston Celtics here on The Athletic. We're going to be talking about the Celtics' loss to the Rockets, and then we're going to get into your questions. We're also going to hear uh, some great questions that just uh, are existing out there. But first, Celtics lose in overtime to the Houston Rockets in a weird, kind of a ugly game. A game that should have never made it to overtime if it wasn't for a wild missed free throw, uh, and then three made by downtown Jalen Brown. But... A lot of people were mad online after this one. Celtics fans were pretty upset, uh, thought that things should have been done differently, um, and they definitely should have won the game. But another close lo- uh, loss to the Houston Rockets. What was your biggest takeaway from the game? That the Rockets are good, and the Rockets Celtics are good. could use that Kemba Walker fellow. Yeah. I think it was the first time in a while that Jason Tatum played like a human, and he's now had two games against the Rockets where he was – relatively inefficient compared to what he's been doing lately. I think their physicality on switches kind of bothers him and it bothers the I mean the entire Celtics roster. Their their physicality in the second half uh they were just like playing pretty far up the court and really making it difficult for the Celtics to move and their offense in the second half was just looked terrible. Yeah, and Tatum still had 30 points, but it was it wasn't as in control as he's been lately. And I, I think for the first time in a while, except for really the other game against Houston, he didn't get what he wanted. And he was letting the defense dictate what he did. And I think that's it's good practice for him to play against a P.J. Tucker, or guys who will get up into you and, and really force you to earn the shots that you want. Because lately things have been easy for him. And obviously in the playoffs, teams are going to be physical with him. Teams are going to do whatever they can to keep him out of rhythm. And that that's 
that's good practice, I think, the way they guard him. I think it's good practice for the entire team. I mean, but the Rockets play such a different style of basketball that's so noticeable um, from all the other teams. It's just the entire Celtics roster really struggled to get points. And first half, it seemed like Jalen Brown got to go in, but it was mostly just isolation. Like they, they said the ball movement was like better in the first half than it was in the second. And I don't know about that. Like they just struggled to get points all night. It just seemed like uh, Jalen and Jason won their offensive battles more so in the first half. And then the second half, it just drive after drive, just getting stuffed. They just really couldn't do anything or create a lot of space with that uh, kind of super small lineup. And it's just the Rockets are very good. Like it, they present a matchup problem to pretty much everyone because of that style. Yeah, because of all the switching they do and because of how physically they do it, they make you ISO. And that's where I think Kemba comes into handy more than anything because Jason Tatum can go get his own shot. Kemba can beat switches and yeah. break down that defense. They can you can hunt with Kemba just and then right. all of a sudden the ball is moving and you've got real offense and you're racking up assists. Like he makes things easier for everybody else, especially against that style, because he can just beat his man. And it's really hard to keep Kemba in front. And so I, I think, you know, the Celtics scored 102.8 points per hundred possessions in that game, which would be last in the NBA for the regular season. Houston really took them out of what they wanted to do, including on the last possession of overtime when the Celtics. It was that was a weird, weird possession. It felt like the Rockets completely like blew up the t- first Tatum option on it. But it also felt like the Celtics didn't realize they were down one. Oh yeah, it was like no urgency. There was twenty four seconds left in that situation. You normally want to go early so that you then have another possession. I just don't think they got a good enough shot score. early enough. But Tatum was walking the ball up the court. There was just no urgency from the start of that possession. It was it was really really bizarre. I think Houston had a part in that, but the Celtics just they just didn't act like a team that was behind. It was almost like they thought they wanted to run out the clock and take a shot at the buzzer. It's like, no, no. Yeah. Maximize your possessions. You think Brad should have taken a timeout? That was another big complaint. No, no, I don't. Because they were down one. If you miss and Houston gets the rebound, you're going to need that timeout to advance the ball to half court and have another chance. So So you just wanted them to go in the first, like, 10 seconds of the shot clock. Yeah, I just thought they should have done it because if you miss, then you get another chance. But what do I know? (laughs) <laughs> what do I know? Hopefully a lot, because you're supposed to be the expert here on anything is potable. I think the thing that's uh, interesting about that game is, like, we just talked about how bad the Celtics' offense was. You mentioned their points per 100 possessions. What was it, 102? They still were in this game against the Houston Rockets, who present a whole bunch of different challenges on the other end of the court, where uh, Russell Westbrook just playing in that offense is insane. And he felt like he was pretty much unguardable, especially anytime Grant Williams or pretty much any Celtics defender was on him. Uh, but the Celtics still played pretty solid defense. And I don't know what was going on with James Harden, but he was not like a huge factor in that game. And so the Celtics were able to make it close. They probably shouldn't have been there, uh, won the game because they had got that Jalen play. But the fact that we talked about how their offense is this bad, but they still were managed to st- like stay in the game with their defense is why you have to kind of have hope for them for the playoffs. Like the Celtics, I think, are going to be successful being a defensive team. Brad's like mostly a defensive coach. And so they've been able to kind of like keep themselves in games like this when the offense is so bad because of their defense. And the Rockets, just such a wildly different style than anyone else in the league. Two thoughts on what you're saying. Kemba being out actually helps the defense. Yes. One. 
Um, you know, instead of giving... They just put their best defensive lineup is, is like the final five, is the starters. Yeah, and and so that's one. Two, their offense is way worse without him. I guess I, guess I have more than, more than two thoughts. All right, um, the bench scoring has been non-existent lately. I, I think we had a question about that. We'll, we'll get more to it later, but I think they had four points yeah. from the bench in an entire basketball game. But you Ennis, think... Ennis Cantor didn't play. So that's normally some of your bench scoring, but there are going to be matchups in the playoffs that are just tough for him to play. And he didn't play. I think we saw against Houston, obviously they're an extreme matchup where it's really tough for a lot of centers to play. But I think that foreshadow that Daniel Tice is going to be even more important in the playoffs than a lot of people probably expect, even though he's been a starter all year, even though he's had the most minutes all year. He's the guy they trust against the best offenses. And he's the guy they trust when offenses are super skilled. He played, he set a career high for minutes in regulation and then played another five in overtime. Ennis Cantor didn't play. Robert Williams, who was cleared to play, didn't play. Grant Williams was the backup five, but Brad hasn't really trusted him for big minutes in that role all season, even though he's, he's used it in spots. So Daniel Tice is going to be supremely important in the playoffs, and I, I think that was just another sign that Tice is, Tice is trending up. Everyone else right now is trending <laughs> down, although Robert Williams is back, and we'll see what he has to offer soon. Yeah, but the thing about like the bench scoring is they didn't have one of their starters, and so Marcus Smart, if, if everyone is healthy, Marcus Smart's going to be on that bench, and it feels like, and we'll talk about this when we get to questions, but what the playoff rotation is, it's definitely six guys uh, and then give or take some other people, but the kind of the Celtics at full strength would rely on Marcus Smart as to be all of that bench scoring. They're just not. Once you get past that six, there's just question marks pretty much the entire way. So it's like feels hard to evaluate the need for bench scoring when they didn't have their full bench intact. Fact, fact. But we'll we'll get more to the bench scoring later. In questions. In questions. All right. Well, anything other things from Celtics Rockets. Uh, I thought they did a solid job on James Harden. Um, oh, a lot of people were criticizing Gordon Hayward for his game. He seems to be another scapegoat. I thought he was solid. He didn't smoke any bunnies, um, but he didn't knock down any like uh, the big threes that they kind of needed him to. But another solid performance. Uh, I don't know. It just feels like he's the easiest one to to blame. He's also the guy that could use to. Like, just put his head down sometimes yeah. against the switch. And I think it's like Hayward, because of his strength, because of his size, can be really, really good against switches. And I think sometimes because he wants to run offense, because he wants to make the right play, he's not as aggressive as other guys are at trying to beat the switch. And sometimes the Celtics probably need him to do more of that. So criticism is him, of him was fair. You think he just needs to be like more... I, I mean, it's not a huge critique. It's just... Like, oh yeah, we're talking about one game in that game. Some sometimes sometimes the Celtics need him, him to be more selfish. I, I think that's a fair critique of Gordon a lot of the time, not just in that Houston game. Do you think they were giving the ball to Tatum too much in that game? Because it felt like there's a lot of possessions where he struggled, where they could have kind of gone to someone like Hayward. But was there too much deference to Tatum because he's been on this star run? I I don't I don't know. Um, I That's mean, fair. I don't know either. I was just asking, like, I, but I don't have a, a strong take on it. It did feel like Tatum struggled, and I can't tell if I'm just remembering that more because he struggled or because it happened more often. Yeah, I mean, 
27 shots for him, plus however many free throw attempts, which are, were from a, another bunch of shots that would have been attempted. Um, so he definitely had a sky-high usage rate. That's kind of what's been happening lately. He's he's deserved the ball. He's done good things with it. He, I, I felt like he got a lot of the similar opportunities to what he's been getting lately, but he was defended a bit differently and didn't always get what he wanted. Like that was the big difference to me is that lately when he's gotten a switch, it's been like, okay, Hassan Whiteside, you're getting cooked or Anthony Davis. Oh yeah. Okay. Anthony Davis, I'm going to shake and bake you and get to the cup against the Rockets. He let them dictate it. And that, that was a difference to me rather than like the Celtics deferring or anything like that. It was, it was just, he didn't get exactly the types of looks that have been good for him lately. You know, and I made a mistake because I said we had a segment called Questions, and then I just asked you another question. But before we get to the official segment called Questions, we'd just like to pause for a brief minute and ask you, the listener gods out there, to please go to the show notes and for today's episode and follow the link. There's a very short survey. Uh, you guys listen know a bunch about us and, like, what we do here on Anything is Potable, and we don't know anything about you. This is probably uh, to help target ads, but um, the survey is 11 super simple questions, and we'll take you about 60 seconds to fill it out. Less than 60 seconds, they promise. Um, so if you could, just go to the show notes, fill out a survey, tell us what our demographics are. Who's listening to us? It's important. We want to know who you are, most likely so we can steal your data. But we still, it'd be, it'd be fun to know your thoughts. How are you going to snitch on us? How are you going to snitch? I mean, it felt pretty obvious as I was reading that that's the exact purpose. I'm just trying to be transparent. That's, don't snitch. Don't snitch. Snitching's important for a legal society or safe society. Snitches get stitches. All right. They said, we're going to ask the official segment questions. Welcome to, round of applause for everyone. We're going to questions now. These now, what, these, was, what was that little round of applause? I don't know. I was just kind of flowing with it. It just kind of went for it. You didn't really join in. Um, so it didn't, no, I, kinda... no, I will not clap for you. <laughs> All right. You should clap for me because uh, before the Rockets game, um, speaking of questions, I asked a great one of Brad Stevens. Uh, and we'll, we'll actually have the audio here. Brad, taking a Kaizen approach, uh, what can Jason Tatum improve upon? He's got a lot of room to improve, which is good. I mean, we saw that in the... In the West Coast, um, you know, in the Lakers game, he saw a bunch of doubles, and we, we watched those all as a team. And then in the Utah game, I thought he was way better against them. Um, and that's just because he sees some of that stuff for the first time. Or, you know, he's not – you know, that's, that's, the, that's the thing about the special players in the league, and Harden's a good example of this, is he's seen everything. But he's seen it for years and years and years now. And even the doubles that – maybe haven't come as frequently as they do now. He's seen them at times over the last couple of years. So um, Tatum's, Tatum's greatest strength to me is his emotional ability to be great in any moment and his ability to quickly learn something. Um, I always remember his one of his first exhibition games, Charlotte ran a very um, a play that a lot of NBA teams run. We had not gone through it in any way got burned on the first one and on the second one he figured it out. And that just that's kind of that's why I think he's got a chance to be really special, but he'd be the first to tell you he's not finished and he's got he can still get a lot better and 
because he's going to see all this new stuff. Wow, like what are your, what are your thoughts, Jay? Like I thought that was a pretty interesting answer about Jason Tatum and kind of what he needs to do to improve. If you ever say Kaizen, in for no reason, I had to get him question, in the right mindset. That was unnecessary. Oh, it, was, it was. It was disrespectful. Disrespectful to the people to at that press conference doing their jobs. Disrespectful to whom? It I was disrespectful you, to me. I gave you a quote. It was, to to my fellow up. colleagues. To everyone that I love and respect and cherish <laughs> in this j- journalism cherish. industry. I, that press conference was boring as hell before I asked the question. As a professional sports fan, I'm going to speak in the common parlance that I know. Okay, why did you decide to include this question in, in, uh, in our podcast? What? Because I thought he provided an interesting answer about what Tatum needs to do and what his, like, greatness is and why he's been so consistent it had nothing to do with you just wanted to highlight the fact that oh, you and, asked the question thousand percent use the word kaizen in it yeah no that's, See, a, that's a, a mockery of my profession i'm being transparent a mockery of my profession you've never been proud of a question that you've asked no kaizen i could always be prouder <laughs> that's true you always could be getting better but absent me just trying doing some shameless self-promotion <laughs> What did you think of the response? Because I did think it was interesting. Yeah, no, I mean, it wasn't... uh, It's kind of what Brad has said all along. Oh, okay. Cut me down. (laughs) No, it is. It is. He's always said, like, Tatum moves on to the next thing. No matter how much praise he gets, no matter how much criticism he gets, and he's gotten a lot of both over the first two-plus years of his career, he just kind of keeps coming in, getting to work, and moving on toward his goals. The anecdote about the Charlotte game was interesting because Fast Learner. I hadn't heard that before. But but yeah, I mean Tatum he he obviously still has a lot to work on, which is very, very promising for the Celtics considering he's doing all this already and he's twenty one years old and he's in the third year of his career and he hasn't yet learned all the Things that come with being a star. And some of that is getting double teamed the way he was in Utah and the way he was against Los Angeles. And he, he, he'll he get better at that. But, yeah, great question, man. I thought it was pretty good. No, great great <laughs> question. Oh, thank you. Speaking of great questions, we got some from uh, the listeners out there. We'll, we'll talk about that bench. Um, but it's kind of something that we, we already touched on. But this is from Sox Nation 0613. Is the limited bench scoring as much of an issue as people make it? Uh, but when the Celtics have four guys averaging 20 a game and Smart averaging double digits, most teams barely have two guys averaging 20 a game. So I think that's like a good point. If the offense is consistently putting up over 100 points per game or like even higher of that, like everyone in the starting lineup is capable of like getting the team enough points to get Ws. The issue, I think, is that in the playoffs, the Celtics – Depending on how deep they go into the bench, they have guys teams are going to really, really help off. If Grant Williams plays, if Shemi Ojale plays, if Brad Wanamaker plays, I think teams are going to be very, very aggressive helping off those guys and trying to make those guys beat them. And obviously the issue is is less concerning during with a playoff rotation when Marcus Smart is coming off the bench, when the Celtics have Kemba Walker in the starting lineup. When all those guys are playing bigger minutes than they do in the regular season, but 
Like it's just that that little bit of extra help that teams will be able to use off Boston's non-shooters or non-high-volume shooters that could make all the difference in a playoff series. And if, if you're looking for the issue, it's that. It's not that the Celtics aren't capable of scoring. Obviously, they are. They have a top-five offense. They have, like, like the questioner said, four guys who score 20 points a game. Their offense hasn't, despite the recent bench production, their offense hasn't typically suffered overall. It's just the best guys have been scoring more of the points, which is fine. But it's the spacing stuff that that like Milwaukee could really use to limit them and to send more help at Jason Tatum and Kemba Walker when it matters most. Yeah, I think the the thing is that their matchups and you bring up Milwaukee, like Milwaukee has an amazing defense. So uh, the Celtics starters might not be able to put up that many points. And if you're playing it like a series against the Raptors or you're playing a series against Milwaukee, Five-minute, six-minute stretches in games can be huge in the playoffs, and they can really, especially when series that were probably would go six or seven are so close, that can be a kind of a giant factor there. So I agree that that's kind of the biggest, uh, I guess, question coming into as the Celtics kind of head into the playoffs. Um, but it just, I don't know how much better they can get. Uh, here's a question from Watch the Games Bro, and it's talking about that playoff rotation Who's most likely to emerge as the consistent eighth guy in the rotation? He's counting Wanamaker as the seventh guy um, because and does not include Cantor because he can't be a consistent option during the playoffs. So who's the eighth guy? Um, or do they even try to like... I think... That's pretty much what... The, Brad, eighth, the eighth guy is going to be Cantor. Either Cantor or Rob Williams will probably play most games. Grant Williams could be used as a small ball five, sometimes depending on the matchup. Shimmy Ojale could play, especially if it's against like Giannis or Ben Simmons or somebody like that. I I don't think the eighth guy is set in stone. I think it feels very matchup dependent. Marcus Smart is coming off the bench. The Celtics will play one of their centers when Tice isn't on the floor. And then it's up for grabs. I think Wanamaker will probably be in the rotation. Just because he's steady. But I think there could be games when Wanamaker doesn't play. Well, there's like no, you can have a whole game where you just, it's Kemba, Smart, and then even Tatum or Hayward is just the ball handler, and you just don't need Brad Wanamaker. So you could really see the rotation shrink to to seven in kind of serious games. We've seen Brad in the regular season when it's like a really like a tough team shrink the rotation to eight. Um, And so in the playoffs, I wouldn't be surprised, uh, especially if everyone's healthy. I think you bring up Time Lord who we have not uh, talked about yet. I don't know if we got a specific question about this, so if you asked about this and I missed I'm sorry. But what does Time Lord need to show he, that he can do in the kind of the remaining part of this season, like in order to, I guess, trust him in a playoff series, in order to maybe merge as like a guy who gets more minutes over Grant Williams or Ennis Kanter? So what do we need to see from Time Lord? Because we know he can block shots. We know he's a, a, a decent passer, but... He still made a lot of like defensive mistakes. It felt yeah, like earlier it, on in the year. It's going to be the dependability, I think, that that really determines how much of a role he plays in the playoffs. Because, like, like you said, he just has like just brain farts out there, where he'll throw an outlet pass to the wrong team, or he'll like. Just he just seems to be wildly to, out of position totally, on defense. Yeah, sometimes. every once in a while he'll just totally do the wrong thing defensively, and. He does a lot to make up for that. Like, he'll 
block a lot of shots and he'll make plays and he can move his feet, which is a plus out of your backup center. Um, but also like in a playoff situation, when Brad is looking for four minutes out of a center or five minutes and you don't know what you're going to get from Robert Williams during those four or five minutes, that can be an issue. And I think Williams has a potential to change games in both ways. Yeah, he can definitely like, be a He could come player. in and get like two or three steals, blocks, and catch two alley-oop dunks and really charge a run. Or it could come in, he could come in and cause everyone to kind of shake their heads and be like, what the hell is Robert doing right now? He has and to be consistent on defense. And like as good as he is at shot blocking, there are times where he, I think, misses... Uh, there's bad communication or he just seems to be out of position and just not like the best helping and is very reliant on trying to block the ball rather than being in the right position. And so I think in the playoffs with Brad, especially with such an emphasis on defense, that's where he's going to have to show that he like knows what he's doing, especially in his role. I like, I think he could play. That's the previous problem with Cantor is like Cantor does decent things for you, but he's uh, such a liability on defense I don't think Time Lord can like do as much offensive rebounding, but he definitely opens up something offensively that Celtics doesn't ha- don't have, which is just rim running and lobs. Um, and so I think he can offer some things on both ends, which is why he could play such a big role. But it's just knowing what he's doing, he has to be like definitively better than Cantor uh, defensively. Um, and Cantor, like he's very like not great in the pick and roll, but. It feels like he plays pretty decent team defense and, and knows what he's doing um, on that end of the court. And I think it all depends on matchups. Like, so much of that depends on matchups, whether Cantor can hold up or whether they don't think he can. Like, how how much of it is going to be determined by that? And then, you know, I, I do think there will be times when the Celtics probably downsize and go with Grant Williams at, at five. Because Who's always in the right position. He just can't jump very high. Yeah, so I, I I'm interested to see what happens of the, the center from the center rotation, but I do think it's become clearer and clearer lately with Cantor seeing fewer minutes, and with Robert Williams' health and decision making still iffy, that Daniel Tice is more important than even anybody. Oh, now saw. you're singing the Tice gods' praises. He's been a, a solid, solid, a- solid B plus this year. <laughs> All right, this is from uh, Diego McCafferty, or at Unique Diego. How late in the season can the Seas get away with never having everyone healthy and still be uh, able to guarantee cohesion in the playoffs? I know health is a primary concern, but I can count uh, the games where all of Stars have been healthy on one hand. That is true. The The starters have never really been all healthy, and the best five lineup um, we still haven't really seen in any extended periods. But... Do you think that has an impact on possible playoff cohesion? I think the guys have played with each other enough that, like, it's been different guys out of the lineup all the time. If if it was one guy out for three quarters of the season and then needing to come back, it'd be one thing. But these guys have all played with each other at different times of the season. They've all gained rhythm. I think the one real change lately has been Tatum's emergence. And we've talked about this before, but I am interested to see how that impacts everybody else. How Kemba, when Kemba Walker comes back, how does that shift the hierarchy now that Tatum has kind of grabbed the conch? Yeah. 
That was a Lord of the Flies Ooh, reference. Little Lord of little, the Flies reference. I would not have gotten it, so thank you. Shout out to me. Shout out to you. Uh, the thing I think, like, the best five lineup I think is something they haven't really done, but I don't necessarily think that's, like, not because they have great cohesion there. It's just, do you really want Tatum playing center or Gordon Hayward, like, I guess whoever the big man would be? I think you can only use it. Like, I would have been interesting to see if they used it against the Rockets. But still, it's an awfully small lineup. But I agree with you. I just don't think it's going to help. Like, the, all the basic uh, players have played together, and they can figure it out. Um, it's just really that best five. But we did learn at practice today that Kemba Walker is coming back. Um, I couldn't hear a word he said, but presumably you transcribed it. Anything interesting from kind of his return to action? Nope. Uh, <laughs> he probably won't play in back-to-backs early. He said the knee swelling is gone. Obviously, the Celtics are going to be cautious with him. They are looking long-term at this issue, and all they want him to do is be ready and healthy for the playoffs. That's that's their goal. That's what they want. And I, I don't think there, there's like a, a, an issue right now, but obviously that knee is something they're going to have to manage to make, to make sure he's healthy and able to play a whole lot of minutes. Come the playoffs. We also learned that Marcus Smart and Jason Tatum... Playoff Kemba. Playoff. We, haven't, we haven't seen playoff Kemba. Yeah, really? no, it should be good. He's very good at being able to take over games and especially just like pull up threes, huge moments. It should be... Uh, they're proceeding with caution for a reason because uh, clearly they need him uh, if they're going to be a, at least a championship contender. I'm excited to see what playoff Kemba looks like. I too am excited. <laughs> This is from at Title City Boston. Aside from the Jays, what player or players on the roster have surprised you the most this season with how they've played? Uh, Wanamaker. I think it's got to be a Wanamaker because like all the other guys seem pretty Wanamaker. I, I think Tice has been better than I expected, but we've seen Tice be good. Like a couple years ago when he was in the rotation – Tice was good, and he wasn't as good last year after coming back from knee surgery and being the third-string center. But we've seen Tice play good minutes before. We've seen him block shots. We've seen him rebound. We've seen him do a lot of the little things. Wanamaker, to me, has been the bigger surprise, and that's because we just didn't see it before. No, he did not play that much last year, and when he did, it was kind of in weird spurts. He's just been like consistently... Okay, pretty good catching a shoot three guy. And yeah, I think, I don't know if it was a huge surprise because it's not like he's playing out of this world, but um, I don't know, Marcus Smart being the best uh, three-point shooter off the dribble this year in terms of percentage tied with J.J. Redick is pretty surprising. But like then again, anything with Marcus Smart is not that surprising just because he's an absurd individual or a basketball player. So um, I don't know. I don't have, I don't feel like I was surprised. I saw everything coming. I didn't see everything coming. I mean, so much has gone right for the Celtics this year, but almost everything has gone right for the Celtics this year, honestly. Like, except for minor-ish health issues. Like, every other check checklist n- note that they had, they've, they've checked off. Gordon Hayward came back. Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown emerged. Kemba Walker fit in seamlessly. Robert Williams showed signs of being at least a quality backup center. Like, they have hit on a lot of marks this year. So, 
I, I w- I'm not like shocked by all of that or any of that. Like individually, I'm shocked that it all happened. Collectively, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, things have been going pretty good for the Celtics. Except for the uh, random injury every now and then. Like the things have clicked. Um, and it's just, it's pretty obvious it was all Kyrie Irving's fault. Uh, that is not <laughs> the case. We will not pin this all on Kyrie. <laughs> Feels like pretty, pretty set and dry stuff. All right. Another question from maybe a Bucks fan, Bucks meme ticks. Are the Heat, Pacers, and Sixers tanking to avoid Milwaukee? He says, yes. Well, that doesn't make any sense. Because if you think they're avoiding the four seed to try and avoid Milwaukee, then they'd also have to avoid the five seed. And they, So you think they're all competing to get the six seed? That's insane. Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to... Also, I think all three teams are trying to play good basketball because uh, that's just not what you do at this point in the season is like mess around. You're trying to get better. You're trying to be a Kaizen warrior. So the idea that anyone's tanking for playoff seeding is kind of absurd. Brad today did say like he's not thinking at all about playoff seeding, uh, just not how he coaches. And it's like a classic Brad where he just lies to our faces because clearly the race with Toronto uh, is going to be important just for, I feel like, all the reasons we've listed. Um, but Brad, lying to our face. Yeah, but here, to his point i don't think he was lying i think he wants the two seed i think he would love the two seed i think he would love to avoid the sixth whether it's indiana philadelphia miami whoever but i also think that the things he listed which was like getting healthy and playing as hard as they can and playing as well as they can that's what's going to get you control control what you control yeah you can't control the Raptors record. You can only control the Celtics record. I agree. All right. One last question to wrap it up. This is from Grant Williams. Who should sit at my Settlers of Catan table this week? <laughs> that is not a real question. I was, Grant wrapping, up the sh- not ask I was that. wrapping up the show, bro. Grant Williams did not ask that. We asked that in Grant Williams' honor. Yeah, that, I mean, you didn't have to like give like you you just snitched on me. You earlier in the show you said That's the Don't second s- time you've insulted my profession today. <laughs> First with your this is my profession, bro. Your self congratulations on a suspect question. Great question. And now with false quoting, <laughs> it was a of, bit a player. It's a bit disrespect to my entire profession. Yeah, I mean, I, every day I show up with a credential and call myself a professional fan is disrespect to your entire profession. I, <laughs> like, I won't disagree there. You, you spit in the face of, of journalism. journalism everywhere. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But here we are discussing Grant Williams' Settlers of Catan table. This is easy. It's basically Kemba wasn't hurt, so he can't be on the table. And then there's five other guys. Jason Tatum. Jason Tatum's there. Jalen Brown, there. Uh, Daniel Tice, there. Is it Marcus Smart or Gordon Hayward? It's Marcus Smart. Marcus Smart for 26 points against the Rockets and almost salvaging that game by knocking out a missed free throw in classic Marcus Smart fashion. Oh, yeah. That Rockets game was such a perfect Marcus Smart experience. It was everything that he is, everything that he does, everything that he brings into so many people's lives. <laughs> he he went 5 for 15 from behind the arc. He was launching, he was missing, he still hit enough 
that it made sense for him to take shots. Huge three at the end to pull them when they're down four within one. He did some stupid stuff. Oh, yeah. He <laughs> almost rescued them a couple of times. The offensive rebound over P.J. Tucker in overtime, even though it didn't end up mattering because he committed a turnover shortly <laughs> Immediately. thereafter, was incredible. He was. It was just an elite, elite Marcus Smart experience. There's There are a lot of those every season. But that was one of the better Marcus Smart experiences you'll see. He was it huge was, in the first quarter too. We don't even talk about the. He was doing all sorts of fancy dribbling and like. And probing. he threw an outlet pass like eight feet into the stands. Too. Like that's why the offense was so good in the first half. When just like he didn't do any of that in the second half. But I agree, he definitely deserves the last spot because we already criticized Hayward need to be more aggressive. Also, Marcus Smart over this period had that kind of wild stretch in Utah, making three consecutive threes to put the game away. Uh, and then a cool pass. So yeah, Marcus Smart uh, has to be at the table. We did that was efficient. That was easy. Yeah. See what happens when you just follow my lead. We could have just acted like Grant Williams asked the question. No, we couldn't because that's <laughs> spitting in the face of journalism. That's me, Jam Packard, professional sports fan, spitting in the face of journalism, and that's going to wrap it up for us here at Anything Is Potable.